welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Well, hey, good morning again to everyone streaming with us online. Again, we're just so glad that you could join us this morning. And church family, I just really want to say that we miss you that we so look forward to the day when we can gather together in person, just be together and and celebrate. But right now we're gonna gather around God's word and uh, we really believe that God wants to speak to us today through his word, that he wants to encourage us, that he wants to bring hope and life. And so if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to the book of John chapter 11. And specifically we're looking today at verses 21 through 27. And the verses will also be on the screen. It says this, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection, and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to join me in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that through it you would speak to us now lord may it come alive for us lord jesus would you give us open ears to hear open hearts to receive and lord would you just bring encouragement and hope and life now and we pray this in jesus name amen amen well hey again just so great to be with you last sunday was easter sunday we just had a wonderful time celebrating together if you missed that time, we encourage you, you can join us and, and kind of revisit that service online on our YouTube channel. But last week we saw that in, in, in times of, of anxiety and fear, that Jesus comes to us and he offers us peace. It was a timely message, of course, in our culture, there's a lot of anxiety and fear. But another thing we're, we're wrestling with in our culture in this moment is actually grief and loss in light of covid 19. And so what we're looking at today is how in that context of grief and loss that Jesus wants to come and bring hope and new life. And so to help us grow and explore that together, we're looking at this story from from John chapter 11. And we just read part of this story, but I want to give just kind of take a step back and, and just give a little backstory. And then we'll walk through this together. But so, so in the beginning of this chapter, we read of three siblings, Mary, Martha, and a guy named Lazarus, and they are close friends of Jesus, that he is their, like their rabbi, he is their Lord. Uh, and so Lazarus, actually, we were told, he gets sick. And so Mary and Martha, they send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick, so please, would you come? And, and, and so word gets to Jesus, and, and, and he comes to see Lazarus, but this is back in the day. They didn't have Uber, they didn't have cars. And so it takes time for Jesus to get there. And so by the time Jesus arrives, we are told that Lazarus 
has passed, that Lazarus is dead. And so this is sort of the setting where we pick up the story in verse 17. John chapter 11, we're looking at verse 17. And it says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, back in the day, you have to know that paper was at a premium, therefore words were at a premium. And so when you're reading an ancient text like the Bible, when there's a detail mentioned, that should lead you to ask the question, why is that there? What is the significance of that? And so here we read that it says that Lazarus was in the tomb for four days. And so why did John, the author of this gospel, find that significant to mention? Well, the reason is because at the end of this story, and spoiler alert, that Jesus will raise Lazarus from the dead. We'll look at that in a moment. But so the reason that that John is mentioning that at the start of this story is to help us see that Lazarus, he was he was just, he was completely dead. This was not a borderline case. You know, was he maybe kind of on the verge of death? No, but Lazarus, his body had been in the tomb for four days. Therefore, Lazarus is really dead, okay? And so it goes on in verses 18 and 19. And it says, Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. So the context here, this is a time of grief, This is a time of loss. This is a time of mourning. And Martha and Mary had lost their brother. And so friends from a neighboring town come to comfort them in their time of grief. And this is another story in which I feel there's so many resonances with where we are in our cultural moment. I know that for so many right now, in this time of COVID-19, that this is a time of loss, that this is a time of grief. Even just in the past week, I've had many conversations with people where they've shared that just there's kind of grief starting to really come up for them in this time. Some are grieving the loss of physical touch. Some are grieving the ability just to gather with friends. Some are are, are grieving the loss of health or of a loved one or of a job or financial security. Some are grieving the loss of a big life event like a wedding or a graduation or a, a big vacation that had been planned. And so there, there are many things that, that people are grieving in this time. But what I want you to see is that it is in this context of grief and loss that Jesus, he comes to bring hope and new life. Now, when, when Jesus comes, that you'll find that there are different responses that people have. And so in verse 20, it says that when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Now, we don't know exactly why Martha rushed out to meet Jesus and Mary stayed at home, but what I've observed is that when Jesus comes into a situation or into a person's life, that people respond differently. Some are just eager to meet with him. Some rather hang back. And and so you just might want to reflect on where you are with that today. How are you responding to Jesus? Are you eager to meet with him? Or are you maybe kind of holding back? And and if so, why why is that? That just might be a wonderful thing to reflect on in this time. So so Martha rushes out to meet Jesus and it says in verse 21, and this is Martha speaking, she says, Lord, Lord, 
if you had been here, or some translations say, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, have you ever found yourself just saying that, like, if only... I've had conversations with people recently who said, you know, if only I had sold my stocks before the stock market crashed. Now we can say that with respect to ourselves. We can also say that with respect to God. God, if only you had done something, things would be different. And at the very least, that is an expression of longing for things to be different, but that can also be an expression of disappointment or, or grief, and for Martha, really, it's all of those things. She's saying, Jesus, I wish you would have been here because if you would have been here, you could have done something for my brother. But now this looks to Martha like just a hopeless situation. And, and some of you today, as you look at your life, it just feels like a hopeless situation. Or perhaps as, as you look at the world, it just feels like a hopeless situation. But what we're going to see today is that because of who Jesus is and what he came to do, that there is always reason for hope. Now, in the midst of Martha's grief and her despair, there's actually a kind of a flicker of faith that begins to rise. And so in verse 22, she says, But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And so even though she's disappointed, she begins to perceive that even now, perhaps there's something that Jesus could do. And so he seizes on this moment and he kind of injects a word of promise, a word of hope. In verse 23, he says to her, your brother will rise again. She responds in verse 24, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, Martha here, she's expressing a belief that would have been common, that wasn't universal, what was common in ancient Judaism, which was the belief that at the end of the age, that God would raise all of his people from the dead, what's known as a general resurrection. And although that's true, that's actually not what Jesus is talking about in this moment. So you see, he's trying to bring life, resurrection life, into this very moment, this present moment. But she thinks that this is maybe just some distant far off reality. And I just have to wonder, how many times is Jesus trying to bring us life, but it's like somehow we, we just don't get it. Like Mary, it's like we just can't quite perceive it. Maybe we're running on, on, on assumptions that just kind of get in the way. She just really didn't have an imagination for, for resurrection life in the here and now. And, and so to kind of help elevate her thinking and elevate her faith and elevate her expectation, Jesus goes on and he makes what is honestly one of the most profound statements in all of scripture. In verses 25 and 26, in response to Martha's talk about kind of this far off resurrection, Jesus says this. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, resurrection life is here, here and now, I'm it. And he goes on to say, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Now, there's a lot packed just into these couple of verses. But I just want to point out two things briefly. What, what this means and what this is telling us about who Jesus is and therefore what he can do. And so the first thing to notice is this. Notice just these two first words here. I am. Two 
very simple words. You might just kind of be tempted just to kind of move along, but actually these words are pregnant with meaning. And you might wonder, well, how so? Well, we'll think back to the Old Testament. If you know the Old Testament story of Moses and God revealing himself to Moses in the burning bush. And maybe you haven't read this story. Maybe you saw the movie. I don't know. Charlton Heston, maybe, maybe the new one. But you may recall that Moses asked God, what should I say your name is? You know, who, who should I tell them sent me? And the Lord says, I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent me to you. That, that's, that's all you need to know right now. But I'm sure Moses must, must have wondered, I am who? I am what? Fill in the blank. Well, over time, God started to fill in those blanks. But really, thousands of years later, the blanks were really filled in when Jesus came. And in, in the book of John, there are actually seven I am sayings of Jesus. For example, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine, which is, by the way, where we get the name of our church. But he also here in John chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. So seven times Jesus fills in these blanks. And what you have to know is that the number seven in scripture is the number four completeness. Because it says that on the seventh day, God rested from all his work and his, his work had been completed. And so ever since then, the number seven has been the number for completeness. So when Jesus says, basically through these different I am statements, he's saying, I complete the picture of who God is. I am all of these things. So this tells us that Jesus is not just a, a good, inspiring teacher. He's not uh, just a prophet even. He's not even just an enlightened human being, that rather he is God in the flesh. And what follows from that is that there is no situation that is so hopeless that he can't redeem because of who he is. And not only does that flow from the fact that Jesus is God, it also flows from the second thing we see here. When he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, you might wonder, well, what, what does that mean? Well, let me just kind of, just in brief, share what I think this means. So Jesus is saying is not only that uh, resurrection is something that he can provide. He's saying, this is who I am. I am. I am the resurrection. And he's saying life is not just something I offer, but rather I am the life. And what he's trying to help Martha see is that he doesn't just have access to divine power to bring healing or resurrection. He is saying, I am the power. I am the one who gives life to everything. And she's, of course, she's despondent and, and she's, she's feeling hopeless. And so kind of just to shatter that hopelessness, he leads her into a deeper understanding of who he is. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, this is who I am. And so the implication is take heart. This is who I am. I'm here and now. So think of what's possible. And I got thinking this past week of the lyrics of a song we sometimes sing. And it's called, When You Walk Into the Room. And it's a song of worship. It's about Jesus. And I just want to read you some of these words because it just gives us a sense of what Jesus is getting at here. But the lyrics say this. 
when you walk into the room, everything changes. Darkness starts to tremble at the light that you bring. When you walk into the room, sickness starts to vanish. Every hopeless situation ceases to exist. When you walk into the room, the dead begin to rise because there's resurrection life in all you do. You see, that's what happens when Jesus walks into the room because of who he is. He is the resurrection and the life. And that should, friends, give us so much courage, so much hope because of who he is. Now, he goes on, actually, and he he actually gives a promise. And he says, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. We'll come back to that at the end. But, But then he asks Martha a question and he says, do you believe this? Now, I love that Jesus, he's, he's engaging with her. He's soliciting a response. And what you have to know is Jesus is never interested in mere information, sometimes in contemporary spirituality, even in contemporary Christian spirituality. We can make it just about information, but Jesus is always looking for a response. That just spectating from a distance and just maybe getting some data or some facts, that there, you know, we need that but it must never stop there. And so that's why he asks her this question because he's trying to even help her to get become aware of where she is in her faith. And so she replies in verse 27, and she says, yes, Lord, I, I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who is to come into the world. So we see here that she has some level of faith. Now, her sister Mary's she's been at home this whole time. So in, in verses 28 and 29, it says, After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. So Mary, she finally comes to see Jesus. Let's skip down to verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here. There's that word again. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. So she too, we see she's wrestling with grief. She uh, has, this, has this cry of kind of longing and, and disappointment, but, but also uh, just a flicker of hope. And, but I want you to notice how Jesus responds to her. And this is so significant. Verse 33, it says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. So, so what is Jesus' response to Mary's grief? Well, first notice what his response isn't. He doesn't say, get over it. He's not trying to hurry her through her grief, and he's not trying to shame her out of it. And he also doesn't say, you know, just turn your frown upside down. He's not minimizing it. He's not trivializing it. Rather, he enters into it with her. And it says he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And then actually further down in verse 35, it says Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, but one of the most profound, Jesus wept. And I think this is just such a beautiful picture of how Jesus honors our grief that he is not detached from it, but rather that he is the God who comes and enters into it with us. And the the prophet Isaiah actually talks about the Messiah Jesus as as a man of sorrows, that he was acquainted actually with suffering, with sorrows, that he actually understands that 
from the inside, but also he enters, we see here, he enters into our grief with us. And because he is the risen Lord, that he can actually do that because he's alive and he can come to us and be there with us in our grief and loss. But I also want you to notice here is that through this, Jesus is affirming the human process of grief. He's affirming that. He's sort of putting his divine seal of approval on that. And I really believe we need to hear that in this time. Uh, Recently, I read an article by Andy Crouch, who's just a significant Christian leader. and, And he said this, and he's addressing leaders, but I really believe this applies to all of us. And he said, no leader will get through this time, in other words, referring to COVID-19, without making time for all the stages of grief identified years ago by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Denial, bargaining, anger, depression, and acceptance. In other words, there there are stages of grief, and he's saying we're going to need to go through this in this time. He says, we and those we lead will experience all these over and over in the coming days. Now, you might wonder, well, why? Well, obviously, we're in a, a great time of, of a loss uh, right now, but really what the experts are saying is that this isn't just a few week or a couple month thing. This is probably going to have a deep impact for many months, and we don't know how long, but what he's, what he's so encouraging the church is to really to grieve well in this time because this is probably going to be a season, a long season, and, and it is so crucial, therefore, that we grieve well in this time. And, and for me, this is something I had to learn later in life. I, uh, I remember I went, to, I was in, uh, it was in seminary uh, when I learned this. I, I, I took a class on spiritual formation and they had us do an assignment where we sort of processed our life and we gave us this giant piece of paper and post-it notes and, and we were asked to reflect on the highlights, kind of the high moments of our life, but also the low points and then to map them out on a timeline. And so through this assignment, what happened was something unexpected happened. I remembered a really low moment from my life that I'd forgotten about. It was a moment when I was a young child. I was, I was hanging out with my uncle. We were watching a 49ers football game, and um, he had a heart attack, and he passed away. And I was just a kid, of course, so I didn't know what to do with that. And so I just, as you can imagine, I just stuffed that for years and even actually for decades. And so what happened as I was working on this assignment uh, in my little apartment, I just, I, I began to weep and I wept and I wept and it didn't stop for three days. And so I didn't, I'm Swedish, I didn't know what to do with that. And so I, I went to the library and I, I, I found a book on grief and, and I read and I learned that, you know, this is actually so important. Not only is it normal, it is actually essential when for us to process well, to actually heal and grow through loss in our lives. And, and so that was something, uh, uh, you know, that I was grieving in that moment. And of course, grief comes in, in different degrees. That was a very intense form of grief. Some of uh, the things we're grieving now, uh, you know, are, are, are less intense right now. I mean, on a low level, I'm grieving the loss of sushi in my life right now. That's kind of a lower level grief. But they're all things that I think that probably through this season that we will end up needing to grieve. Uh, but here's one thing I just want to throw in here. I, I, I've, I've had conversations with people uh, where people have shared, you know, how can I allow myself to grieve, let's say, the loss of being to, able to gather with friends when, you know, there are people in the ICU right now because of COVID-19. And I so get that. There are obviously, for most of us, there are people in worse situations. 
But here's what I want you to hear. This is so important. That uh, to grieve doesn't mean you're saying that your situation is worse than everybody else's. To grieve is simply to acknowledge to yourself and, and even to God that there's been loss in your life. And so there's no comparison that needs to be involved. So I just want to say there's freedom. We should all feel freedom to grieve. Whatever the loss is that we're processing, now whether it's big or small, I, I think that is so important for our uh, process in this season. And so you just might want to ask, is there anything I need to grieve in this time? And Jesus, I want you to know he wants to meet you in that. If there's something like that in your heart, that he wants to meet you in that, he wants to bring his comfort, he wants to bring his hope, he wants to bring his peace. But not only does he comfort, we see Mary and Martha in their grief, he also transforms their grief. And you need to know that whenever there's, uh, there's, there's loss, whenever there's adversity, that God is in the process of rewriting the story. He's writing a new story. The, the Bible talks about how, how God is the one. He brings beauty from ashes. He says those who sow in tears will reap in joy. And so that's actually what is happening in this story. And, and so in response to seeing how Jesus enters into Mary and Martha's grief, it says in verse 36, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. You see, Jesus is always coming to us with his love, even in the midst of our grief and, and, and loss. And some of the people in that moment, they perceive it. They perceive Jesus' love in this moment. But what is so fascinating is that there were another group of people there in this moment. And, 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 and even though they're looking at the exact same thing, they saw something completely different. So verse 37, it says, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind men have kept this man from dying? Again, two different groups of people looking at the exact same thing. One sees Jesus' love in action. The other group, all they can see is negatives. All they could do is, is complain. And it is such a, a common temptation amidst loss and hardship to only focus on the negative but I just pray for wherever you are that Jesus would give you eyes to see how he's coming to you in this moment with his love because the Bible tells us, Romans chapter eight, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, not COVID-19, not job loss, not isolation, nothing can separate us, nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I'm praying even now that God would just surround you with his love and that you'd even experience that in this moment. And I want to read to you a, a quote from Tim Keller uh, commenting on this passage. And he says, it, It's hard to know why God is letting you go through the evil and suffering you're going through right now. And many people are, are, are suffering in various ways. But he says, When you see that Christianity is the only faith in which God actually comes down and involves himself in suffering, so that someday he can end all suffering and evil without ending us. What this means, though you do not know what the reason for your suffering is, and we don't, but he says you do know what the reason for your suffering is not. It is not that he doesn't love you. That is so important for us to really hang on to. It has nothing to do with his lack of love. Actually, he loves us so much. Even Jesus came, he died for us. So even in this moment of, of grief and loss for, for Mary, Jesus, he meets them with his love. But not only that, we see that here, he transforms their sorrow into joy. So let's see how. Verse 38, 
Jesus, it says once more, deeply moved, and there's that phrase again, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Verse 39, take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor for he has been there for four days. In other words, she's like, Jesus, what are you thinking? This is kind of crazy. He's like really dead. Verse 40 and following. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, just briefly, we're going to close shortly, but I just want to zero on these two words, sent me, that Jesus wants people to know that the Father sent him. And so the question is, the Father sent Jesus to do what? What did the Father send Jesus to do? And I think it's really important to catch this, that Jesus' aspiration and what he's about to do in raising Lazarus from the dead is not just to show people that he's the Messiah, not even uh, just to prove that he's, he's God. He's also intending to show them what this God is like who has sent them, that he is the one who sends his son to bring life, that, that he is the one who brings life to the dead. And let me just, just apply this to our context. So if you were to convince someone that Jesus is God, Yet they were to assume that God is just some, as, as many people do, that God was just some a grumpy guy in the sky who just kind of basically hates most people. Then you haven't actually helped them fall in love with Jesus and actually might have even driven them from Jesus. So the important point here is not just that Jesus is the Messiah and that he's God. Oh, that's definitely part of the point here. But it's equally about the kind of God that Jesus reveals in this moment. Namely, that he is the one who comes to bring life where there is no life to bring life to the dead. So out of his abundant compassion for Mary and Martha and for Lazarus, and also in order to demonstrate the kind of God he is, Jesus turns to raise Lazarus from the dead. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But let me just first ask you, if, if Jesus came to bring life, if that's why he came, what is the problem that he's addressing? In other words, in terms of the human condition, what is the problem he's addressing. And I, I think it's important to just to, just, to, to just to touch on this because I think sometimes we get a bit confused here. And I think often people think about it like this. You know, I struggle with sin and, and so that makes me bad. And so I need Jesus to make me good. But what I want you to see is, is that the core issue for the human race isn't that immorality has gripped us at the core of who we are and that we need sort of just a morality trade out but rather God's diagnosis of the human situation is actually far, far more serious. It's, it's actually that we're way worse, off, way worse off than we ever dared imagine. You see, if all sin did was make us bad or, or make us unclean or immoral, then there would be no need for resurrection. Think about that. As I once heard my friend Alan Scott say that religion can clean up corpses, but only resurrection can raise the dead. Religion can clean up corpses, but only resurrection can raise the dead. You see, sin isn't just a morality issue. It is a life issue. And God, what he wants for us is life. But what the Bible calls sin, what that is, that's pushing God away. And the God being the source of life, when we do that, we sever our connection with life 
itself. And sometimes we think we're alive, but the reality is we're just existing. It's kind of like, I don't know, your Christmas tree after you've had it a while. Uh, you know, at first it looks, it looks wonderful, but then over time it starts to wither and you're like, wow, I need to bring this thing to the curb. Why? Well, because it's been disconnected from its source of life. And that's what human life is like without, without God. So Jesus, he came to bring life and resurrection, but really only resurrection can take that which is dead to sin and bring it to life. So, so with that said, let's just look at the climax of this story and then we'll close verses 43 and 44. It says, when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Or as some translations say, Lazarus, come forth. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. So, so, so Lazarus, he was dead in this tomb, but Jesus came and brought him life. And that literally happened, but that is also for us an acted parable of Jesus' resurrection, life-giving power. And, and, and here's what I really want you to hear, that Jesus didn't come and, and die on a cross and rise from there just so that you could get a new religion or just so that you could get a new belief system. Rather, he, he came, he died, he rose again so that you could know life in him and through him. And as I was praying this past week about what to preach on, I really felt like I heard the Lord say to me just so clearly, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. And so I have to believe that there are many Lazaruses watching online today and really God is calling to you in this moment and you've been maybe living in spiritual death or maybe you've just been existing but god is calling you to right now and he wants to offer you his gift of life that is his call in this moment lazarus come forth come forth and so jesus he loves you he loves you so much that he came again he, he died on the cross he rose from it so that you could know life in him and so as we close, I want to give you an opportunity in just a moment to receive this life, if that's something you desire today. But just one last thought before we close. Verse 44 says, The dead man came out, his hands wrapped, his, excuse me, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now just notice that. Take off the grave clothes. And what strikes me about this is that you can have just, Jesus could have just raised you from the dead, yet you could still be walking around with grave clothes. And so I just wonder, for those of us, you've received this gift of life from Jesus, but are there maybe, are you walking around still with grave clothes or any grave clothes that you might need to take off in this time to receive the fullness and experience the fullness of the life that Jesus came to bring? And I don't know what that is for you, but you might want to reflect on that today or this week, what might that be for you? But just in closing, we've seen that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And therefore, that means wherever he is, life comes. That wherever he is, that resurrection happens. By the way, he was, he was just, uh, you know, he caused trouble at funerals because life just happened. <laughs> life just happened. And therefore, wherever he is, I want you to hear this, that wherever he is, that hope is possible because he is the resurrection and the life, and, and that's really what he offers to you today, that you would know his hope, that you would know his life. And so 
uh, if you're listening, if you're joining us online and, and, and there's something stirring in you that this is like, you're like, yes, this is what I want. I just want to offer an opportunity to respond and to receive this gift of life and to really give your life to Jesus. And so I just invite you wherever you are, you might want to just bow your head, maybe close your eyes if that would help you focus. And I just want to lead you in, in a simple prayer. And again, if what's stirring in your heart in this moment is that I would love to know this hope we've been talking about today. I would love to know this life. I would love to have Jesus in my life. Again, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond. You might have a lot of questions. You might not have many answers, but if that's what you would like, I just want to lead you in a simple prayer. It's as simple as this. And so just, you can just whisper this to God. You can just say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. And that's not all you want to say to him. That's just the start of a conversation. That's just the start of a relationship. And if that's what's stirring in you, that's what you want today. You can just say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. Lord, would you come into my life? Would you heal me? Would you forgive me? Would you fill me with your hope? And would you fill me with your life? Lord Jesus, come into my life. And Lord Jesus, I give you my life. If that's your prayer today, I just want to pray for you. So Father, I, I thank you for, for anyone, Lord, who joining us today, who, who just prayed this prayer. I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, that you just surround them with your love, surround them with your presence, surround them with your peace. And God, would you just encourage them so much today? Would you draw them close? And would you bless them, God? And I thank you. We thank you for you. We thank you for the hope and the life that we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen.